By mid-March of this year, the flood of flying saucer sightings had hit a new peak. Into many of these reports there now crept a new and somewhat eerie tone. The feeling that these flying saucers were something out of this world, possibly interplanetary aircraft, sent from some distant celestial sphere to investigate what manner of life managed to exist here on Earth. Until March of 1950, most reported UFO observations were seen from a great distance away. On March 16th, a physician and pilot, Dr. Craig Hunter of Berkeley Springs, West Virginia, saw one up close. We're going north on Route 153 from Clearfield, Pennsylvania towards Penfield, Pennsylvania. And about nine miles out of Clearfield, and I begin to hear a hissling, whistling sort of a sound, something that I had completely strange to me. And then I looked up into the sky and coming from a southeasterly direction to a northwesterly direction was this flying disc, or for the want of a better name, a flying saucer. It was, say, around uh, 150 feet around in circumference, and there was three distinct parts of it. There was an inner circle, a metal circle, which rotated around this inner circle, and an outside circle which about one-third of the area on each side was covered with openings somewhat similar to an airliner opening. Now, this inner circle rotated anti-clockwise very slowly, and it went over me practically right over my head, and I would say it was traveling at a speed approximately 60 to 70 miles per hour. I would say that the thing was approximately 250 to 300 feet above me, not over 400 feet. It was of a dirty aluminum color, and I got a tendency to indicate the southern edge as sloping up, which would indicate to me that it was about 15 to 20 feet thick at the center. It would give you the idea that it was a rocket type of combustion, rather. It didn't give you the indication of a make and break, like a, a motor or anything like that. It was a continuous whistling sound. The conditions were very, very fine for observing it. I mean that the, it was just as clear as a bell, and I could distinctly see each and every detail in, as to the outline of it. That same month, the Mutual Broadcasting System launched a series called 2000 Plus, considered the first adult science fiction show in radio history. A month later, NBC launched their own. Produced from Radio City in New York, it would be called Dimension X, and debut on Saturday, April 8th at 8 p.m. Whether it was John's other wife, or Merton Marge, or Easy Aces, or uh, Big Sister, and I did them all. I don't think there was one that I did not do. I also did things like being the announcer for the New York Philharmonic for a couple of years, for being a stooge in a Spanish-speaking or a dialect Spanish-speaking stooge on one of the big shows for being the narrator on an Archibald McLeish series about, it was called, I think, The American Story, doing all kinds of things, and they, every one of them, aside from the financial aspects of them, FBI and Peace and War, uh, Gangbusters, my gosh, Grand Central Station, all of those. I wrote some of them, too. The man you're listening to is Arnold Moss, 
an accomplished New York actor. By 1950, he was all over the radio dial. Moss was also no stranger to playing multiple parts in a single broadcast. There was another thing that was very important about it until after the union came in and said you could only do so much. We all doubled like crazy on gangbusters, for example. We would play six and seven parts in a half-hour show, and this called on a facility of technique, not necessarily good, of inventing voices, of inventing characterizations with no rehearsal. You were given the script and you rehearsed for an hour and there you were on the air. And that, from an actor's point of view, kept you very much on your toes. And that, that was a wonderful thing. I remember I had two running parts. I think it was Big Sister and the Goldbergs. And one was at CBS, one was at NBC. And I had four minutes to get from 52nd Street in Madison over to what is now Radio City. And you'd have elevator men waiting for you and you'd have cabs waiting for you and you hoped that it wouldn't snow or rain, and you'd get in there out of breath, gulp and take a deep breath and go from Reed Bannister to whatever you were playing on the Goldbergs. We were very busy people, this hardcore of 25 or 30 of us. Once in an interview like this, I was asked the greatest number of shows I'd ever done in a single week, and I had looked it up in advance, and believe it or not, and... We were all doing this kind of thing. There was one period of seven days in which I was on the air in 41 different shows. That's that incredible. It's incredible, but I've got the records. <laughs> 41 different shows in seven days. On May 6, 1950, Moss starred in the episode called Knock. Adventures in time and space. Told in future tense. Dimension Can you predict the future? Can you tell what will happen in a hundred years? Or in ten? Or in the next minute? Can you look beyond the known dimensions of time and space into the unknown, Dimension X? Tonight we have a strange story to tell, a sweet, blood-curdling little story that is really only two sentences long. The last man on Earth sat alone in a room. There was a knock on the door. Think it over. Suppose you were the last man alive on Earth. In the universe, for that matter. The last man sitting alone in a room. And suddenly, there was a knock on the door. What knocked on the door? You wonder, don't you? Your mind, faced with the unknown, supplies something vaguely horrible. But it isn't horrible, really. You'll see. The last man on earth sat alone in a room. There was a knock on the door. Hmm? What, what? Oh, what's that? Good morning, man. What? What? Who are you? You have regained consciousness. Well, who are you? I am Azan. Maybe if I close my eyes, it'll go away. I will not go away, man. No, no, I... I... Yes, I am awake. Who? 
What are you? I am Azan. What's that? Azan is intelligent life. Why do... What happened? Where are you from? From planet seven in the third galaxy in the fourth quadrant. Where? It is not necessary to repeat information which is correct in the original statement. Planet seven? You mean I'm not on Earth? You are still on your planet. Well, then what are you doing here? The Zans have annexed your world. You mean you've conquered Earth? Yes, that is correct. We will now prepare your planet for habitation by the Zan. Well, how about the people? There is no longer any use for large numbers of lower life forms. Therefore, we have dispensed with them. Dispensed with... You mean you've... When did all this happen? Two days ago. You have been unconscious until now. You really mean I'm the last man on Earth? That is correct. Identify yourself now. Uh, what? Kindly provide data as to your position in the elementary social order of your planet. Oh, oh, uh... Why, well, I, I, I'm Walter Phelan, associate professor of anthropology at Nathan University. H how is it you speak English? We have deciphered your written and recorded records. It is not difficult to reconstruct your language, very type of auditory communication. Oh. Is there anything you want to complete your natural habitat? You mean I'm a prisoner? That is correct. What will you want further in your room? Well, do I have to stay here? Yes. The rest of my life? Forever. Well, then you better bring in my books. Uh, uh, I got to call you something. Do you, do you mind if I call you uh, George? It is immaterial. All right, then, George. You know, I, I can't really believe this. That is a characteristic of low-life form. I'm trying to take this in without going off balance completely. I will be back, Associate Professor of Anthropology. It's all right, George. Just call me Walter. Very well, Walter. I will be back with your books. All right, George. I'll be seeing you around. You will not be around, Walter. You will be here. <laughs> Yes, the last man on Earth sat alone in a room, a rather peculiar room. He just noticed how peculiar it was, and he'd been studying out the reason for its peculiarity. His conclusion didn't horrify him, but it annoyed him. There was a knock on the door. Come in. Oh, hello, George. Hello, Walter. What can I do for you? Point one, you will please henceforth sit with your chair pointed the other way. I thought so. That plain wall is different from the other sides, isn't it? That is correct. It is transparent. That's what I thought. I'm in a zoo. Right? That is correct. I knew it. And if I persist in sitting with my back to it, what then? You'll kill me, I ask, hopefully? No, we will not kill you. It's too bad. George? Face the bars and perform for the people. I, I mean for the Zans. How many other animals do you have here in the zoo, George? 216. A male and female each of 108 kinds. Male and female of... of all the animals? There is a female of your species among the collection. Anyone I know? Never mind. It doesn't matter anyway. Well, George, you started out with point one. I suppose there's a point two kicking around somewhere. What is it? Something we do not understand. Two of the other animals sleep and do not wake. They are cold. What is wrong with them, Walter? Well, they must be dead. Dead? That means stopped. But nothing stopped them. Each was alone. Sure, they, 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 they just died. But I have told you they were alone. Nothing stopped them. 
George, do you mean to tell me that you don't know what natural death is? Death is when a being is killed, stopped from living. Maybe these animals just died of old age. Old age? I do not understand. George, how old are you? Your planet went around the sun about 7,000 times since I was born. 7,000 years? Yes, I'm still young. Now look, George, you've got something to learn about this planet you've hijacked. Here on Earth, we've, we've got somebody that's a stranger where you come from. Down here, our people and animals live until the Grim Reaper stops them. This uh, Grim Reaper stopped the two animals? That's right. He will stop more? Oh, he gets us all, George. This is a new factor we have not considered. But you can consider it. Because when the Grim Reaper gets through, there won't be very much left of your zoo. You mean he will stop more animals soon? Well, with your lifespan, it won't seem like a minute and we'll all be gone. Oh, it looks like you made a mistake, George. I don't think there's very much you can do about it. That is not correct. The Zahn is a logical being. We will take action. For its time, Dimension X was a wonder. Two and sometimes three sound men worked each show. We will be there shortly. You mean, uh, it was produced in a huge two-story studio, giving the crew the ability to obtain tremendous echo effects. Blended in were futuristic musical scores, composed by Albert Berman, and played on the organ. Host narrator Norman Rose was the perfect voice, combining an authoritative resonance with a touch of dark irony. Arnold Moss was right at home in these futuristic dramas. George didn't explain. George he was flanked by Joan Alexander and Louis Van Rooten. I don't know that it's ever been more or less mellifluous because I've never been aware of the quality of my voice. My whole theory is, and I think you would both agree with me, that as soon as an actor or announcer becomes aware of the mellifluousness of his voice, he better go out and get himself another job, because he's not paying attention to what he's saying, but rather how it sounds. Yes, I saw their spaceship. It's as big as a mountain. They're moving in on us. They cleaned off the earth with some kind of vibration that destroys all sorts of animal life. They killed everybody. Oh, no. I was afraid. Well, the cheerful notice that you and I and 200-odd other animals were picked up beforehand as specimens for the zoo. You know that this is a zoo, don't you? Yes. I suspected it. But I don't remember anything about being captured. I just woke up here. Well, they solved a lot of problems for us. Housing shortages. Wars. I don't suppose the human race... You and I, that is, have to worry about anything now. It's awful. Only they made one mistake. They overestimated us. I don't understand. They thought we were immortal. That we were what? Immortal, like they are. Oh, they can, they can be killed. But the Zans don't know what natural death is. They didn't know anyway until they lost two of us yesterday. You mean there are more than two of us? No, no, no more of our species. The, the, these were merely brother animals. A rabbit and a canary. And by the Zahn's way of figuring time, the rest of us are only good for a few minutes apiece anyway. That's a joke on them. They figured they had permanent specimens here in their zoo. But didn't they know that we'd all die eventually? No, I don't think so. See, George told me he was 7,000 years old and he's supposed to be young. When they learned how quickly we die, well, they were probably shocked to the core. 
If they have cause. How can you talk that way about it? Academic detachment. I learned it at faculty tees. At any rate, they've decided to reorganize their zoo. Two by two. Oh. Sure, they figure we'll last longer collectively, if not individually. But if they think... That is, if you think, for one minute... No, no, don't, don't, don't worry. I don't. But are they going to keep us locked up together in this one little room? I'm afraid so. It's horrible. I agree with you perfectly, my dear. For all personal considerations aside, the least favor we can do the human race is to let it end with us. I don't see much point in continuing it just for an exhibition in a zoo. How can you just sit here and and lecture? Have it, have it. But we've got to do something. Why? I don't know. It, it just seems we owe it to the human race to do something. You got a suggestion? There must be some way. They can be killed, you said. I think that anything that would kill one of us would kill one of them. You see, I, I, I figured it out, I think. George cut his... Well, I suppose you'd call it his hand when he brought in my books. It started to bleed, red blood, but I could see the cut closing just as he stood there. And by the time he left, it was healed. I don't understand. Don't you see? Whatever factor there is in man that makes him grow old is missing in the Zahn. They just go on and on and on until... Well, until they're stopped. Yes. But suppose we killed one. There must be some way. Well, but what would be the use? They wouldn't even punish us. They'd just give us our food through a trap door and put a sign out saying, Beware of the man. Dangerous. I don't think they'd have to bother in your case. <laughs> I don't see anything funny. I'm sorry. Just reminds me of Martha. Martha? My wife. She died two years ago. I'm sorry. No. Not at all. Oh, that'll be George with my books. Come in. Hello. George? Hello, Walter. Point one, I have brought you books. Point one? Well, what else is on your mind? Point two, another creature sleeps and will not wake. A small feathered one called a duck. It happens, George. I warned you. Old man, death, the grim reaper. I told you all about him. Walter, the Council of Zahn has met. It has been decided logically that the only intelligent life to escape the vibration is you. Therefore, the logical conclusion is... You are stopping these animals by some means unknown to us. George, you're off your trolley. You will tell me now how this is done. You boys afraid you're going to lose the whole zoo? It is necessary to save the remaining specimens as long as possible. If we do not get information, we may be forced to dispense with your species entirely. Now, wait a minute. This means you, Walter, and the female. Now, wait a minute, George. Don't go off half-cocked. Let me take a look at these animals that won't wake up. I will take you there now. Go first, Walter. After you, my dear George. This is the weasel. You should have got him in the winter, George. The fur's worth more then. Then it's an ermine. This is the reptile cage. Here are the ducks. This is the male. The female has been stopped. <laughs> Lucky girl. What's the matter, fellow? You lonely down there? Walter, you will tell me how you stopped the female duck. You got me, George. I didn't do it. Maybe she died of the Dutch elm blight. Walter, you are not being logical. 
We have concluded you are stopping these animals. Tell us how it is done. I told you, George, I haven't the foggiest notion. Very well. We will have to take further action. Well, what are you going to do, George? We have methods of action you will know soon. We will go back now to your room. What happened, Mr. Fairland? Call me Walter. After all, George does, and we have more in common. Oh, please, what happened? Just a duck, a dead duck. George thinks I killed her by remote control. He thinks I'm holding out on him. Good. What? Well, at least we can get back at them. At least we can do something to them. Why? After all, George isn't a bad fellow, if you like an ant mentality. How can you say that? They've wiped out the whole human race. They've murdered everybody. I suppose they have, but we can't change that now, so why think about it? Well, we can't just sit here and do nothing. I fail to see how we can do anything else. Oh, of all the men in the world they had to pick, don't you want to fight back? Don't you want to keep on fighting until the end? It hadn't occurred to me. But we've got to, Walter. Why? Well, I, 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 I can't really explain, but, Walter, if there was any good in man at all, it was that he kept on struggling against nature and in the end even against himself. The show was produced live for the first 13 weeks and transcribed thereafter. It ran against Gene Autry on CBS. To help promote it, the NBC press department sent out their radio editor's flying saucer mail service. It was a promotional piece made up of a white saucer-shaped cardboard lettered in red and white and attached to a blue square. It wasn't long before Wheaties grabbed the series with their big parade in the summer of 1950. They began sponsorship on July 7th. But aside from Friday, Saturday night was radio's lowest-rated evening. NBC won three of the four time slots between 8.30 and 10, but they were all comedies. While Dimension X was well-produced, it was an outlier sandwiched between the Joe DiMaggio show and Truth or Consequences. Wheaties ended their big parade in August, and NBC began to bump Dimension X around its schedule. It was picked up and dropped without announcement, and finally went off the air for good on September 29, 1951. <laughs> 